and welcome. The title of the sermon this morning is Here I Stand. Here I Stand. We live in undoubtedly what is the information age, don't we? There is more information available to mine and your fingertips than ever before in the history of the world. You can look up anything, everything, about whatever you want to know, just like that. We definitely live in the information age, and with all the information abounding today, or misinformation abounding day, for better or worse, and it seems, uh, abounding today, for better or worse, and it seems like for worse right now, uh, there's of things to know. There's lots of things to know. There's lots of things to study. There's lots of, of information. And it got me wondering, wonder what courses of study, what very unique courses of study are offered at the universities today. And I was thinking about this because I was thinking about graduates and various were coming up on the school season. And so as schools are starting to come into, uh, begin operating again, it made me wonder about our graduates. And then I remembered uh, just having to sign up for courses. And you look at what, what's being offered this semester. And you see the classes. And I, and I wondered, what, what types of study or actual courses are offered today that people pay money for. There's a few interesting ones, one of which would be called the Science of Harry Potter, an actual course, an actual, <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, uh, the Science of Harry Potter, an actual course that looks at all the science of the Harry Potter world. Another one, which I didn't, this one developed over the weekend, and I did not know when I had first seen this. But another actual course would be The Politics of Kanye West. Oh, wow. And then later, literally, I had no clue. Later, somebody said, did you know he's running for president or something of that? And I was like, oh, I guess we'll all be taking this course <laughs> if that is true, in fact. Here's another one. Tree climbing. It's an actual course you can take at a university tree climbing. You've ever wondered, how do I climb that tree? Take that course. They might teach you how. My favorite one, how to watch TV. <laughs> it's an actual course. What do you have to do to be a professor of that course? How to watch TV. Yeah, that's right. Just turn it on. Click. You all get an A. Oh, and maybe this one might interest some of you. Finding dates worth keeping. Finding dates worth keeping. Again, all of these are actual fields of study, and as we all know, there are some things more important to know than other things, but one thing is necessary, and in our text today, we will find that thing, and that thing is that the scriptures are able to make you and I and anybody wise for salvation that is in Christ Jesus through faith. Amen. This is a great concern for Paul with Timothy, and it should be ours as well. Here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and Paul has been impressing on Timothy the need, the urgency to remain faithful 
to follow the pattern of sound words and to guard the deposit entrusted to him, that gospel message. And he, he wants Timothy to, to share and entrust that gospel message with others who will be able to teach others also and to continue the pattern of entrusting the gospel. But there's a consequence to remaining faithful. There is a consequence to making the choice to remain faithful that Paul is also impressing on Timothy. See, to choose to remain faithful in the Christian life also requires that you embrace suffering for the gospel. That's the consequence. Why is that a consequence? Because the road is hard and the way is narrow that leads to life everlasting. And so Paul has also urged Timothy to endure suffering. He said it two times already. He's going to say it four times before this is all over with. Endure suffering. Endure hardship, Timothy. Remain faithful. And Paul has mentioned a few by name already that have departed from the faith in this letter. The first one was Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then Alexander, sorry, not Alexander, he comes later, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who with their contagious false teaching forsook the way. And then Paul mentions two Old Testament examples at the beginning of chapter 3. Do you remember who they were? He likened false teachers to Janus and Jambres, the magicians of Egypt who counterfeited, who opposed Moses. And Paul says, and the false teachers likewise, these men oppose the truth. And he encourages him with that word, but they will not get very far. They will. Don't be overly anxious, Timothy. And so, Paul is encouraging Timothy. Endure suffering. He's trying to equip him to engage false teaching and to teach the body, to prepare him for difficult days and to continually point him to the true source of power and strength in the Christian life, namely, in our text today, the Word of God. And so let's pray and see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Father in heaven, would your Spirit enlighten our eyes to behold wondrous things from your Word this morning? God, would you grant that as we hear your Word that we would be taught Grant that as we hear your word, if needed, that we would be reproved or corrected. And then, Father, grant that all of us would be trained in righteousness so that we might be equipped, complete for every good work. This is a work that I cannot do. No man can ultimately do. But your word and your spirit desires to do in this church. And, Lord, we also lift up all who are listening online and those who are our brothers and sisters at Waiehu Community Church, I pray for them, Pastor Jay, as he preaches your word from Hosea 13. May you nourish the saints there, build them up, strengthen them in the faith,
And may that word spread amongst that entire community. And Lord, would you do this in all of our islands to the glory and praise of Jesus. Amen. Here's a big idea. You ready? Here it is. God's word is sufficient. God's word is sufficient to make you proficient for every good deed. God's word is sufficient to make you proficient for every good deed. That's your big idea. I have two points. Number one, the Lord rescues. Number one, the Lord rescues. Verses 10 to 14. And so Paul has just finished in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, uh, discussing and telling Timothy, hey, answer chapter 2, speak to everybody with gentleness, speak to them with patience and kindness. But then he says, but, but know this, Timothy, in the last days, times of difficulty will come. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, arrogant, boastful, rude, all these things they will love. They will love their interests, their purposes, their desires. They'll love everything else but God, Timothy. And so don't be surprised, Timothy. Don't be overly anxious, Timothy, because these men, these false teachers that you are encountering won't get very far Workers of iniquity, false teachers will be exposed eventually. Their works will become plain to all. He's then going to move and, and, and again impress on Timothy the need to follow. But as for you, you have followed Timothy. And this is again and again. We've seen this since chapter 1. Paul saying, follow, follow, guard, keep don't depart from again and again. Timothy needs to hear this over and over. Go back with me and just think of the timeline. The church at Ephesus is planted with great power. People forsook their idols to serve the living God in Ephesus. Paul then writes the book of Ephesians to help instruct this church to impress on them the need for unity, to remind them of their spiritual blessings in Christ, to remind them of basic Christian practice and truth that flows out of a life that's been redeemed by the gospel, to remind them to put on the whole armor of God that they might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then uh, many years later, he, he has to send Timothy back to Ephesus in the book of 1 Timothy. Why? Because in less than a generation, false teaching had crept into the leaders who were not qualified had taken in and, and usurped the teaching position and now he's instructing Timothy on how to set this church right how should the household of God be conducted this is Ephesus now and then years later after that he comes back in second Timothy he's back again because apparently the church at Ephesus and surrounding areas were still struggling you know what the last word on Ephesus is? You remember the last word in the Bible on the church at Ephesus? John, the Apocalypse of John, the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches. One of those churches is to the church at Ephesus. And I won't go through the whole passage, but if you remember, he said to Ephesus, 
you have forsaken your first love. You remember? And he threatened them. Unless they repent, their lampstand would be removed. You see, the, the, the pressure to depart, the pressure to abandon the faith, to forsake your first love is not something we can ever be slack on. We can never be more vigilant or overly vigilant to guard our hearts, to keep our faith. And so Paul's impressing on Timothy, follow Timothy, follow, remember where you came from. And that's what he's about to do in this next passage here in verse 10. He's going to remind Timothy, so while you see these false teachers abounding, Timothy, while you see their their false teachings spreading like gangrene, don't be overly anxious because you've seen something else too, Timothy. You remember what else you've seen, Timothy? You haven't just seen false teaching abound. Verse 10, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul had, Timothy had seen Paul's faithfulness. Rather, he had seen God's faithfulness to Paul and to his word. Timothy's seen Paul suffer and endure suffering. Now, what is Paul's point? You have to ask, why why would Paul here interject this at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, right? You remember, Paul's been all over the place. Why mention these three cities here? What is Paul doing? Paul is stirring Timothy up. You say, what do you mean? These are the cities where Timothy first met Paul. This is where Timothy's from. This is where he first encountered Paul the Apostle years ago. He is stirring Timothy's hearts and affections, that love Timothy had at first. You and I get this. Are there certain places that you look at with with different eyes, that when you hear the names of those places, you have a a swelling of, of sweet memories come from within. Many of you, if you drive by Secret Beach in Wailea, you might see a beautiful beach. And you say, oh, a lot of people get married there. But when I drive by Secret Beach at Wailea, I remember I got married there. I married my wife there. Or some of you will drive out on the way to Lahaina and you'll pass Olawalu's general store and you'll think, man, they have good pies there. They have really good pies. When I drive by Olawalu general store, I remember seeing my wife leaving an ambulance. I remember a fire blocking the way. And then I remember God's kindness and giving us four years ago our baby boy Haddon. I see these things there. And this is what, we all have things like this in our life. This is what Paul is doing. You've seen my sufferings at Antioch, at Iconium, 
at Lystra, and as Timothy reads this, you can almost just imagine what's coming to his mind as he, as he remembers seeing Paul stoned or hearing of Paul stoned in Acts 14 and left for dead outside the city. And, and then all of a sudden the believers gather around Paul and he, he's strengthened by the Lord and he rises back up and he gets on his feet and he flees the city. Oh, wait, what? Does he flee the city? That Lystra? No. He goes right back in to the place that just stoned him. Timothy would have remembered all of this vividly. And so Paul is stirring up Timothy. You've seen my sufferings. And then he says, as if to know, to impress on him, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I imagine if you walk into a Christian bookstore or get a little book of promises of the New Testament, this one probably won't be in there. It's probably not going to be on a mug that you give to somebody as a present. Maybe that's our next Father's Day, Day gift. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't, we don't dwell on this often, but it's important to remember. It's also important to remember what Paul is not saying. We think, ooh, the Lord rescued me from them all. We, we tend to think, oh, he, he took me out of suffering. He took Paul out of suffering. He's going to take me out of suffering so that I'm not suffering. That's not what this means. To say that the Lord rescued him from them all is not a deliverance from the hardship or a deliverance from the suffering. It is a deliverance through it. God kept Paul alive until his ministry and his mission was complete. He suffered him to get stoned. He suffered him to get beaten and shipwrecked and bitten by a snake. God allowed all of that. So we have to remember, Paul isn't saying God's going to deliver you from hardship. He's saying God will keep you and give you all the strength necessary to complete his work for you. Paul goes on, and he doesn't just take Timothy back to when they first met. He goes even further back to Timothy's life, to his childhood. He says how from childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Your grandmother, Lois, your mother, Eunice, in chapter 1, you have inherited this great faith from your mother and your grandmother. Remember from whom you learn these things, Timothy. And I'm going to here to tell you right now, if you have believing parents, if you have a parent who is a Christian or a grandparent who was a Christian or both and either or all of the above, you have a tremendous gift. You have a tremendous blessing that has been given to you, Duke. You have a parents who love you, grandparents who will teach you the faith, and you yourself are a gift, but you have received this gift, and you should remember who taught you the word at first. You should remember who taught you the word at the very first. Don't forget them. And parents, parents, I have 
three keiki. Some of you have young keiki as well. Others of you have older keiki. Some of you have adult children, adult sons, adult daughters. Don't waste opportunities to be intentional with your kids, with your children. Don't waste opportunities to teach them the faith. The biblical seeds that we sow in the lives of our children will grow with them. They will grow in them. And they will last them throughout their entire lives. Indeed, we may not see the entire fruit of the seeds we have sown until the next life in the lives of our children. Don't waste opportunities to teach them the word. Every week, Nick Tanaka, thank you for your labors in this, Nick. Every week, Nick puts out a family worship guide. It follows the sermon. It's excellently done. Good for children, and to be honest, it's good for adults. It's good for adults. And so let us make it our goal to teach the sacred writings to our children. Paul says these sacred writings, these scriptures, Timothy, are able to make you wise for salvation. Interesting. Wait, I thought Timothy was saved already. Why is it able to make him wise for salvation? Beloved, I hope you don't think you only need the gospel to get saved and then move on to something else. You need the gospel and every facet of the gospel the rest of your entire life. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the only wisdom that ultimately matters. And when you read your Bible, when you crack it open and you read it, point your hearts to this over and over again, because the Scripture's point is to point us to Christ and the salvation that is in Him. Don't leave thinking that the story about Joshua and the conquest of the land of Canaan is only about Joshua. Don't leave the scriptures and think that the stories of David and Goliath and Daniel and Moses and the judges in Numbers and on and on the prophets, that it's only about the prophets. It's all meant to point us again and again to Christ. It's number one, the Lord rescues. Number two, the Lord speaks. Verse 16 and 17. Pass. Graphe, Theopneustos, all scripture is God breathed. Pas graphe, all scripture, every word of your Bible. If you have a hard, this might be revealing, if you have a hard back copy of the Bible from which you are looking at right now, would you just hold it up? like VBS of old vacation Bible schools. Hold up your Bibles. Let me see if you have a hard copy. Yeah, there's, there's some of you. Now, let me see the digital copy, people. Where's your digital? Hold up your phones. Make sure you close ESPN out before you do. Good, put them down, right? Every word of that Bible 
from Genesis to Revelation, 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 of the New. Every single word is God-breathed. The parts you understand are God-breathed. The parts you don't understand are God-breathed. The genealogies are God-breathed. The laws that bore us out of our minds as we read them in Leviticus and wonder, what is the purpose of this? Are God-breathed. Everything, the parts I like, the parts I don't like. Every clause, every word, every Every phrase, every jot and tittle, every obscure part, every well-known part, all of it, Paul says, is God-breathed. It is all God's Word. When Jesus speaks in the gospel and says, verily, verily, I say unto you, whose word is that? It's God's Word. It's God's Word. And when Paul says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Whose word is that? That's God's word. And when Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come among you. Whose word is that? That's God's word. All of it is the word of God. And all of it is breathed out by him. That word breathed out, theopneustos, it is not used often in the New Testament, but it is a very familiar point. It means very theologically this. Here it is. You ready? To breathe out. <laughs> to breathe out. Theopneustos, God breathe. To breathe out. It's why you all have masks on right now. It's the idea. You're exhaling. <laughs> And breath is coming out of your mouth. That's why they want us to wear these things. Because as you speak, as you sing, as you breathe, you breathe out. It's why whenever you're speaking, you have to remember to take points to breathe. Because as you speak, you breathe out. Psalm 33, 6 brings both of these ideas together. Listen to this. Psalm 33, 6. Remember, Hebrew poetry is parallel often. By the word of the Lord, there it is, you see, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. We know this from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God said, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. What's the next one? And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. The word of the Lord, the breath of his mouth. All Scripture is God-breathed. Paul is declaring that Scripture is God's Word and therefore has great power, creative power, sustaining power, and transforming power. One scholar said it like this. I quote, just as God's breath created all the host of heaven, just as his breath gave physical life to Adam and the rest of mankind, just as his breath gave spiritual life to Israel, the valley of dry bones, so also his powerful creative breath in its word form, Hebrews 4 says, is living and active, imperishable and abiding, and through God's Spirit imparts 
new life to the soul, close quote. You see, God's breath creates, gives life, sustains, and transforms. There are still some in the church and outside who disregard the teachings of the Bible or parts of the Bible. Whether you see this on Discovery Channel, the History Channel, National Geographic, or whatever documentary you're watching or that comes on around Easter, Christmas, or major holidays, there are still many who disregard that all Scripture is God's. Jesus, though, will take task with this. If you have a problem with any part of the Scripture, any Old Testament part, any other portion, you're going to have to wrestle with Jesus here. Everywhere, Jesus affirms the divine origin of the Old Testament. Matthew 5, 17 to 18, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. And then he goes on to say, the scriptures cannot be broken. Or Acts chapter 4, verse 25. Remember, whose words are these? Acts 4, 25. Can look at the writings of David in Psalm 2. So David wrote Psalm chapter 2. But Acts 4, 25, check out what Acts 4, 25 says. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant... And then what's he say? Said by the Holy Spirit. So wait, David wrote it, but in a sermon they're saying the Holy Spirit said it. And so behind David was an operative power, namely the Holy Spirit of God, such that Psalm 2 is not ultimately the word of David, but it's ultimately the very word of God through David. We won't go here today because I've preached on this a little while ago on Sola Scriptura. 2 Peter chapter 1 will give you this. Holy men of old spoke as the Spirit moved them. And because the Scriptures are God's Word, they are powerful. Timothy, they are powerful. They are God-breathed and are able to sustain you to the end. I say this over and over again, and I'll keep saying it, I imagine, until I die. The safest way to hear God speak, to hear the Word of God, is to open your Bible and read it out loud. That is the safest and surest way to hear God's Word speak to you. If I am not doing that, if I am saying God spoke to me this morning and something comes out of my mouth other than a citation from Scripture, that may be true, but it may not be true either. But when I open my word, when I say that fighter verse, Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears, and I say, beloved, those who look to him, their faces will be radiant. You will never be ashamed. That, without a doubt, without exception, is the very word of God to you and to me. The safest way 
The surest way to hear God's Word is to open your Bible and read it. This is the surest way to know what God is saying and has said. This also means that when I speak, so now I'm going to turn and me to Pastor Randy. When I speak and preach God's Word, or when you hear God's Word taught by me or by someone else, this is important. Think about this. This is going to blow your mind. When I preach or you hear God's word spoken, proclaimed, insofar as it is accurate to God's word, I don't preach on behalf of Christ. Nope. I don't preach on behalf of Christ. I don't preach in place of Christ or in his stead. Insofar as his word is spoken accurately and truthfully, I speak as Christ to his church. Think about that. I speak as Christ. Others speak as Christ, insofar as the word is truthful and accurately proclaimed. Over the years, I've preached many sermons. I've made many statements in counseling and in public. Over the 2,445 days of my ministry, who's counting? Over the course of those years, from time to time, I'll have people say, they don't like something I said. Fair, I try to hear that. But here's what this means. God's word, all scripture is God-breathed. Here's what this means. That means sometimes, and I say sometimes because I don't claim inerrancy, but it means sometimes when you hear me say something, and then all of a sudden, and I know what you all do because I do the same thing. I go through the same process as I'm in the word wrestling with God. You hear me say something, and you start to oof, wrestle. Oof, I don't know about, oof, I don't know if I like that. Or oof, You start struggling or, or trying to push back, and, and now you're, you're arguing with me in your mind. No, no, that can't be. Mm-mm. It means sometimes you may think you're pushing back against Pastor Randy. You may think you're wrestling with Pastor Bill or with Nick Tanaka or with whoever else preaches from here. You may think, ooh, I'm pushing against them. This means when in actuality sometimes you're not wrestling with any of those, it's not me or them, you are wrestling with God himself and his very word. And his very word you are wrestling with. You say, is that so? Because maybe you're still wrestling with me right now. Is that so that you speak as Christ to the church? Hear how the church in Thessalonica took it. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. Paul says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, check this out, when you, Thessalonians, received the word of God as they were preaching it, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what? As what it really is, the word of God, which is at work 
in you believers. See, he says, I thank God that when you heard this, you received it not as the word of men, but what it really was, the word of God, which is at work among you. And I can say that I can truthfully offer up this prayer many, 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 many times for KBC, that I praise God that when you heard the preaching, you received it not as the word of Pastor Randy, not as the word of Pastor Bill or anybody else, but you have received it many times as the word of God. That's massive, KBC, to think about. It's mind-boggling. Maybe it reorients how you come and sit in a sermon. Who are you here to listen to, beloved? I hope that when you come to church or when you tune in on YouTube or Facebook, I hope that you come expecting to hear the Word of God proclaimed to you, no matter who's preaching, no matter who's preaching. Insofar as it is accurate and truthful, I pray you hear God's Word. So, beloved, all Scripture is God-breathed. Therefore, we affirm the Scriptures and the Scriptures alone and their totality are inerrant, infallible and authoritative as the very word of God for his people. So that is what they are. That first phrase, all scripture is God-breathed. That's, that's, the, that's what they are. The rest of this passage is what they do, is their function, is the role they play. It's what they do. Verse 16 all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. These are two couplets. One is positive-negative, then it goes negative-positive. For teaching, for reproof, that's your positive and your negative. For correction, negative, then positive again. And training in righteousness. The first couplet, teaching and reproof. This has lots of application for pastors, obviously, as this is written to Timothy, but by virtue for all of us, by extension. It really refers to the pastor's responsibility to positively teach the faith and reprove or correct those who depart from it. So a pastor has the joy, as do all of you in different capacities, to positively teach and instruct. Do this. This is the way of the Lord. This is how the, the Lord would have you to respond in, in this way or to think about this subject matter. And then there's also the corrective aspect. Sometimes there's reproof or rebuke needed. It's where we have to be able to say, this way of thinking is not the way of Christ. We have to be able to do that as well. And so the scriptures are profitable to teach us to help us reprove or rebuke or to rebuke us. The second couplet, correcting and training in righteousness, normally is applicable to daily Christian living. To daily Christian living. We all know there's a difference between what happens up here, what the mind knows and comprehends, and what the hands do, aren't there? There's differences. 
We need to be instructed. Sometimes there's a link, a blockage that's missing. Sometimes there's some sort of inerrant or errant thinking somewhere about some action. And so Paul is saying the scriptures are sufficient to guide you in right thinking and right living to word and deed. Beloved, this means that we have everything we need. The scriptures are sufficient. We have everything we need for every trial, for every hardship, for every difficult circumstance, every challenge we will face in this life. Everything we need is contained in the Word of God. All of it. Now, everything you want to know may not be contained in the Word of God. It will not answer every question you have, but everything you need to live a godly life in this life is in the pages of God's holy Word. This means you don't need a sign from God. Oh, beloved, how many times have you prayed? How many times have I prayed in different points in our life? If I just had a sign... God, speak to me in the sky. It means we, we don't need a sign from God. You don't need to look for uh, uh, writing in the clouds. We don't need mystical guidance to tell you what you need to know. It means you don't need secular psychologists, psychotherapists, or other worldly wisdom from the universities to teach you how to solve the true problems of your soul and life. What do you need? You need to read and know your Bibles better. You need to read and know your Bibles better. It's not just enough to read and know, though, is it? You need to hear and respond in obedience to God's holy word. We need to pray over these matters, to speak with God over these matters, at times to fast and lament over these matters, to, as Paul told Timothy in chapter 2, think over what I say and God will give you understanding. We need to think and pray and wait for God to give us the understanding we long for because it's all here in the Word of God. Our fighter verse from a few weeks ago, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing your heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. What's the rest? And in keeping them, there is great reward. Beloved, it's all there. It's all there. Do you need your, store your soul restored? The law of the Lord is perfect. Do you need to be wise? Well, God's testimony is sure, making wise the simple. Are you sorrowful and downcast? 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You see? And on and on it goes. It's all in God's word. And what's the end result? Verse 17. That the man of God, oh, that phrase referring to prophets of old, to holy men of old, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is sufficient. It is able to make you ready to respond in a Christ-like manner to any and every situation you will encounter on this road to heaven. It is able to make you wise for salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And so let me close with this poem. OKBC, together let us fix our gaze and look and spend much time inside the book. And do not leave or think you're done until his word leads you to the sun. All scripture is God breathed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that those may be listening online or if there are any here with us today who have never turned from their sin and placed their faith in Christ to forgive them of their sin and to bring them to yourself. Lord, would you move in them today to devote their lives to you. And Father, for all of us, may your word make us wise unto salvation. May it equip us for every good work. May we read it, meditate on it, and obey it to the glory and praise of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.